Welcome back to Chasing Squirrels. The, the, the really interesting things that can happen when you start reaching out into your PLN, both, both actual and digital, is that surprises happen. And I'll say my theme of this podcast is when the surprise happens, how do we, how do we notice it? How do we sort of stop for a moment and pay that attention to something that might have been in front of you for a little while? You, you, it, there's just something slightly changed about it. How do we pay attention to those moments to maybe take one step, one step deeper? This this past week, I've been thinking a lot about how we collect stories as educators and how we encourage others to share stories. And I started to get this idea in my head about the web of a learning experience and the type of little signal threads that we lay within the web. And and we could take it in one direction and talk about provocation. So, you know, putting the little prompts into your classrooms or putting the prompts into your professional discussions that activate not only individuals, let's say physically, where they are showing they want to learn, they're talking, they're moving, they're, they're connecting, they're sort of moving from place to place, but the actual thinking is also activated. And I've given this, this a little bit of thought and trying to bring it back to my own classroom about the types of questions that I ask, but then also getting out of the way to see where the conversation goes, where I'm no longer leading it. Now, this is not a new thing. I think many educators consider this when it comes to balancing the curriculum and then the experience that happens around the curriculum. But this past week, I've been thinking about it a lot in my classroom. I've been thinking about it a lot in my professional conversations. And I've been thinking about it a lot in relation to my side hustle, which is this podcast. So at the heart of it, the podcast looks at change in education. I wanted to pay attention to those moments in my universe where educators really did see that change was happening. Now, sometimes that change was activated themselves, and we all are a part of committees, we're a part of groups, we're a part of these these structured moments where effectively we're creating change in our schools and our school systems. But I took it to that next stage. It's like, when you create that change, are you aware? And when you get it into your hands, do you know what to do with it? And so with this frame in, in mind, the my guest today, uh, a, a post popped up on their edu blog. And the post in itself, amongst other things, started to talk about what I perceive to be some changes in their thinking, some changes in their sort of frame of conversation and the impact of that. Now, when I started this podcast, I didn't really have any clue about audience. And I've been asked that about a few times. But for me, it's just one long extended reflective practice. And doing it in public can be I guess, a profound realization. Um, But I don't know if I've spent much time there because all of a sudden I've just gotten used to this kind of thing that I do. Others, it's not always that exact same space of, okay, no biggie, move on. And so in that frame, I really want to stop my narrative here, but I want to bring in my two guests, Kelly McKay and Andrea Kerr. Welcome to Chasing Scrolls. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So could both of you just throw down what would be, you know, introduce yourselves a little bit, give some context to your educational reality right now? Absolutely. Um, My name is Andrea Kerr. I'm a learning support coordinator at the Hastings Prince Edward District School Board. Um, Along with Kelly, we're colleagues in the same uh, curriculum services office. And we're the beast. So (laughs) (laughs) we write the blog together. uh, I'm a young, I have, you know, I'm not young, but I have uh, two young children, uh, four and eight. And um, I've been a teacher for 18 years and have been in this role for, um, this is my fourth. So I'd like to start in reverse because there's, if anyone, if anyone decides to start pursuing podcasting, one of the reasons that it, it gets it gets wide and long is because setting up conversations is not simple. Um, in especially when you're reaching out to your, your, your professional learning network, you get a real sense of scale trying to set up conversations because none of them happen on the fly. So I think our conversation about setting up this conversation was about a month in the making. And in that time, you two have posted more interesting stuff. So I think when I first sent you the sketch note, the stuff was it was on point. It's still the stuff that I'm interested in. But I'm wondering if we can kind of jump 
to your current space. And I'd like to jump, I guess, knee deep, hip deep into your perspective on your reflective practice now, which is, you know, I'm going to go back backwards in the, the beast. So your, your posts within the beast and your current post that talks about how something has changed a little bit. In the past, other guests have talked about when something suddenly becomes complex and the surprise that happens around that. Would either one of you want to jump in and talk about that new space of kind of realizing that there's others outside listening to your 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 edu conversations? I think the interesting part about it, Chris, is that we have had a ton of conversations because I was new to curriculum services and I I came upon Andrea, and we you know, we describe ourselves as unlikely. I was secondary for 23 years and now I'm 26 years in and Andrea was primary and elementary. And we started to have conversations between the two of us just to sort of figure it out if we were on learning teams together and the beast, and you'll see from the current sort of blog post how that evolved. But the other part about this week's blog is that it's getting more uncomfortable. Um, the conversations between us are getting deeper and harder because so is the learning. And I think the beast really, you know, you talked about getting out of the way of students. I think oftentimes we have to be really conscious to get out of our own way. And the complexity when you learn with others is that not only do you have to get out of theirs, you have to get out of your own. Change just doesn't happen. I would agree with you on that point. Things can change around you, mm-hmm. but connecting with the change and saying, and, and this is something that I've explored, I guess, in long form, is that noticing change is not the same thing as creating change, but they can end in the same place if you decide to play a part in it. I'm curious about the structure of the blog. What, what, what I, I will tell you flat out, I dig the style of the blog postings. I really like, I like the inclusion of the sketch notes. I, I appreciate the front end of the narrative and then the dialogue at the end. How did you come to that style? Because I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen that before, but it speaks very clearly to me. How did that come to be as a, as a, as a method for, I guess, curating, sharing your, your thinking? Yeah, those two pieces are the best of each of us, right? My I do the sketch notes, um, and Kelly is very much a storyteller. And um, we recognized that, um, we've realized over the past little while, that putting those two pieces out there um, are part of what makes learning visible to the people we're learning with and that it pulls people closer so they can see the connections um, and can see themselves in it. For the, so I think it was before we hit the record, touch just a little bit on the, you're known as the beast. So the two of you together within this, this project, within this, this sort of, this practice that of you two writing together, reflective practice, has there been, what have you noticed? Actually, I'm gonna, I'll go back to your very first post. So when you hit publish after the first post, did you notice anything in yourselves or in your local learning network when you hit publish? What, what did you first sort of encounter the thinking after you released your thinking into the, into the universe? I think for the two of us, I'm gonna be honest with you, we have a working relationship I think when you create something together and you do hit publish and you, you put it out there, we felt our journey together sort of changed because we'd be in the same place at the same time. And when you start to really, really think about learning and how hard it is, I could tell I was having one of those moments, you know, with other educators or with kids, and I would sort of figuratively reach out for her because I really wanted to figure it out. And sort of the other side of that is you find your friends, of course, are the first people to read. Um, Chris, and they really, they're, they're proud of you, but the more they read, you know, they're, they're also searching within themselves in learning and in the beast. 
because it's collaborative. It really, really is. It's not just between Andrea and I. Those stories, those humans are precisely why we learn. I, I love that that ob- honoring and obligation factor that you bring into this, that recognizing I think if you're if you're paying attention, even if you're not well, if, even if you're not paying attention, the you know you, anyone's experience, one experience within their work, within their family, uh, is is socially fueled, and you know being able to pay attention means that an experience that happens within that social fabric, it's going to have different characters in it, and I like that idea of am I the question that it makes me think about is am I am I honorably representing the story from more than one point of view? So even though I'm speaking to my lived experience within, let's say, the podcast or my classroom experience, am I also reasonably representing um, others' point of view just, I think, to have a, a, a rounded, I think a nicely rounded approach to it. Have, have the two of you come to a space in seeing because one of the things I found is sometimes the tension between speaking from lived experience and shaping the experience so that somebody else will understand it. And I've found that it really, it it changes. It doesn't change how I think about it, but it definitely changes how the, how the end product looks. I was talking to uh, another educator, Doug Robertson, and he said, you know, often people don't get, some of the things that I write and I'm okay with that because I'm not trying to write something that is necessarily universally understood. I'm trying to put something out that clearly represents my lived experience. Has that popped up for you two in, in the writing or let's say even in, it, it can even happen in real time too, like in real life when, when you're working together in something where it's kind of like that challenge of balancing what you know, what you've lived and then trying to teach the lesson that comes out of it. What are your thoughts on that? It's all the time, right? All the time. We have uh, conversations where we bump up against people and their different perspectives. And we feel like that that is the space where learning happens. When you are like, what? I oh, I need to think about that. Um, because yes, we all have different experiences and that we bring to the table and including our own, right? Um, and we need that mirror. One of you, and it's just because it comes through the beast. So I'm not sure who had said it, but I did see it pop up in the blog post as well, saying that you were compelled. I, I could be paraphrasing, switching words, but there was you were compelled to go back and start thinking again. And I love that. I love that declaration because I think about my my day in my classroom and that opportunity to go back and revisit an idea when it's between the bells or in that 75 minute period, it can be really challenging to get to that thinking. And I put that up against sometimes the the wait time that's so necessary for some students, not just in order for the original idea. I think sometimes I, I've, I've fallen into the trap of the wait time that I'm waiting in is the only wait time that should be exercised. So when the learner says, I need wait time, or they just take wait time, um, I've started to understand that that's not only for whatever the idea that was outside to make it inside, which is the first step of the process. It then becomes, how do you get the inside back to the outside again? And one of you mentioned having to go back and rethink things. And my interpretation of that was rethink things that were assumed to be firm or formatted or structured. Do which which one of you mentioned that to, to me? And do, do you remember mentioning that in our in our Twitter conversation? It was Andrea, and it's interesting because we were having a conversation, and she and it, it was part of our conversation that we're having at the crack of dawn on Monday morning. And she started. She said, "Hang on a second. And she went back and she started pulling from different blogs the piece we were really wrestling with. And I will tell you part of the generosity when you learn with Andrea and what she's really taught me is how important time is, Chris. And what we've always loved about our conversations and about the sketch notes she makes when we're planning is that we're not done. You know, she makes me circle back around 
And when you've had that profound moment of learning where you've been uncomfortable and, you know, where you've been itchy, you know, you, as you said in the sketch note you sent us, and you come to that place of, whoa, to not be done is really hard. And so to remember, you know, the threads don't just get tied off and tucked away. And it's part of the blog process that I didn't understand. That the blogs are there, not, you know, January 17th, done. They're there because we need to circle back around to them. So many more things have happened since last week that should have changed our thinking. And it's her eyes when it's happening or that moment where I read something and I send it to her and she sends it back and I send it to her that I finally have understood what you've called the time in between. She makes me incubate. She forces me to. And it's about getting out of my own way. But it's also about knowing that it's all one big thing. It's not just one blog post by itself. At, at, at the core right now in your, in your structure, do you, is there a method that sparks a blog post or is it first first one to the table a text message here's a thing that's happening because you know i read in reading the posts there's an element of stream of consciousness to it it's here's a thing that's going on and it's captured so well to where i feel like i'm I'll, I'll go back to, to to that other conversation where it feels like you're writing entirely from the inside out and allowing the 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 viewer the reader to just sit there with you in your headspace or in your conversation. And that method reads quite clearly. And I think that's what that's what paused me in reading them. I felt like I'm getting a wider perspective of what's going on. And that whole idea of capturing learning, I find capturing learning, and especially when we lean on that assessment idea, is that on one hand, you capture learning and it can feel dead. It's just that snapshot. And sometimes we'll even say things like that as educators, you know, it's, it's a snapshot. It's just where we're kind of at right now, but what's the power of capturing something and it's still alive and you're not capturing it with the intent of harming it. You might be capturing it with the intent of just observing it and then take it one step further. You know, even how we capture, is there a, a, I'll say a more ethical way to kind ethical or reasonable way to capture it such that the thing that's captured still feels like it's in its natural state. Now, I get all this sounds, you know, on one hand, elementally artificial, because if you capture something, you know, I almost feel like we're on a hunting expedition now. But what I, I love about the post is it feels like you've captured that something is alive. And, and I wonder to myself, you know, what sort of complications this causes? Because if it's not so easy, okay, so for some people, it's a really big challenge hit publish the first time, like your fingers hanging over the button. <laughs> you're just, you're just, you're hoping you get a text message, somebody save me. And that, because my friends, I mean, I, I, I do every single time, every podcast, every podcast, every little piece that I put to my own little edu, edu blog, which are a lot of different sort of mixed pieces, every time there's that pause. And it's funny, the only thing, the counterpoint to that is that I've gotten used to, it's still a little bit of a sting, a little bit of a wonder, but I've started to realize that fear and um, excitement have a similar emotional status. So I realize it's a little bit more of the excitement. I've shifted my thinking. I could be completely naive, but that's what I'm doing, right? I'm saying this is more exciting than fear. But one of the interesting things that, I, that became a bigger challenge was going back in and sometimes adding to previous posts, adjusting some of the wording. And I don't know, I have, I'll have no admission here. Like, I don't know if my memory is getting better or if I'm going back in and checking to see if the learning is still alive. What do you think about that? Uh, that's a big that's a big deal to keep to keep it alive. We we look at it as um, one one of our posts, the growth. It's a right. It's the growth, not the grade. And when we are doing that, like circling around um, and revisiting and bringing it back to where we were and and extending the learning forward. It's, it's because of the documentation. It's because we hit publish. It's because you ha have had the courage to put what you didn't know or what you just learned out there for people. Hmm. 
Kelly, what captures your attention? So in those moments, what is it that what is it that that you notice? What are the kind of things that you notice in EDU? When I first took this job, I've been in special education for 23 years. Now I'm going now I've taken the job as K to 12 literacy coordinator for Hastings Prince Edward. And Chris, you know when you start something new, that imposter sort of factor hits and I think, oh my God, they're gonna find out who oh, they've made a mistake. So that first year you try and you are going along at such a frantic pace, trying to clutch and grab everything you can to assimilate yourself into the role you've taken. Last year, it slows down, but still you don't feel like you know. Um, Someone's going to ask me something like, you've got to move a system. And I joined a grade three learning team, all grade three educators. And Chris, if there's anyone who's going to be an imposter in the room, it's someone who spent their entire life in secondary in a room of primary educators. And they gave me such permission not to know, as did the educators I was on the team with. I watched them document. I watched them, you know, simmer into the Indigenous learning model where we stay in the feeling as long as possible and not knowing you know, being the place of where we're starting, something clicked off in my brain and I changed. And I changed into my core as an educator. That being a teacher didn't mean um, sitting in the knower's chair, but it also meant um, the importance of the sip aside. And, and Andrea and the people we work with continually bring me back around to that sip aside. And I take moments to notice those because that's where all the juicy pieces, all the stories, all those big moments happen when you are in, and we have hashtag sip aside, when that happens for us as educators. And that's what I notice when I'm quiet and I, I see something that rarely has, I just get to listen. What do I see? What do I hear? And it, it comes home with me and I text her or I call her and I say, Oh, and we also notice when it doesn't happen, Chris, what if it doesn't happen? We've tried to set every condition possible for learning to happen. And sometimes it doesn't. How come? You almost baited me with the rhetoric. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And even my statement can be rhetorical as well, right? That's, that's, I think in some ways, the ideal uh, dialogue, let's say, is that, you know, when the rhetorical, I I said to, (laughs) I said to a colleague, I said, I love answering the obvious question. I, I, I spend my time, especially with the students, I'll answer the obvious question. And then we'll kind of move on. Sometimes my answer, depending on, um, you know, if, if I'm deciding to go a little bit more humorous or serious, but, uh, my intent in answering the obvious, if if the question still stands as to why why we don't get to that, um, mm-hmm. the uh, there's there's no there's no I think that becomes the long term inquiry, and I'm not avoiding the question. I'm just sitting mm-hmm. beside you saying I wonder, because I observe I observe the exact same sort of I think what I observe is the mechanics the mechanics of much of school sometimes make it seem far too linear so the if if we're stacking up functional pieces one after another a to b b to c and so on then there isn't space between those little lego things other than connection and it's not necessarily the connection that's necessary a student yesterday in class was doing some research on our our tolerance of ambiguity and I think that in order to have that as a skill set, as opposed to say we just tolerate it, are two fundamentally different approaches. And if we start building in that comfort, that comfort zone of ambiguity, it doesn't happen because you teach comfort of ambiguity. I think it's because you take time to do what you two are talking about, which is include longer waits, more feedback loops, and the opportunity and safe space to land on I don't know but I'd like to and will you help me that's my <laughs> almost semi-rhetorical response to your 
rhetorical question. Um, but the other thing that I would say is that there are some people that are naturally tolerant of those open spaces. I can sit in silence. I don't do it here because this is a little bit more of the A to B, B to C. But I'm comfortable in one-to-one or in real-life settings or sit-beside settings. I'm okay sitting in silence. And then before going on, so if I ask a question and there's silence, I'm okay with also maybe we need to talk about the silence first. I don't have, I actually don't need the answer to that quadratic yet. Let's talk about the silence. What's just happened there? Our, our silence? What was that? The story? <laughs> Is that really? Yeah, no, no, not at all. If I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to wrap up this, this, this sort of like impromptu <laughs> essay that you've given me in some way. I think that idea of being comfortable in ambiguity is in sometimes a superpower often seen mm-hmm. as, as a problem in education. I, and, and that's all I think I need to say about that. Andrea, what do you notice in education? Well, I think we, you know, we think about that, that very thing. What, um, what do we do about it when we bump up against each other? Right. So what, what do you do? Let's let's put it to a because sometimes I did one of the pieces of feedback. I want to every once in a while bring it down. You know, say Clough, bring it down from thirty thousand. So functionally speaking, when you encountered that moment, how do you how do you play well, it out? We give it back, right? We are um, always in the middle of capturing thinking. It seems like we're that's like a constant, right? So um, we have it. Mm-hmm. And how does that, that crisis <laughs> or um, where, you know, we're in a moment where I, I just, I see you I'm sitting beside you and I see what just happened. And, um, you know, we have, we have to, to um, bring, bring it back around so that we can learn from it. So I love the, I love the leap off from, from the feedback. Because in one of your one of your blog posts, you tapped Lucy West on the shoulder, and and I grabbed just a little bite of one of the things that I I found. The mm-hmm. quote is melting the layers of bureaucracy, and I love what what I really love about a moment like this, and even going back to that first kind of out there example when I was talking about Jane McGonigal and that idea of building social resilience and emotional mm-hmm. resilience. It wasn't on tape. I think it was in our pre-combo. But that idea of the six seconds of contact in order to build the oxytocin trust, uh, trust moment. And I like to think of conversation as one of those pieces. And obviously, no, I won't say that. I think if you can get beyond the six seconds of introduction you're still having enough close contact to create change. So this quote for me, melting the layers of bureaucracy, is this, is this a part of what you two are talking about when, you, when you're addressing things like sitting beside, getting the feedback, other words like being in the same room, taking risk, you know, some of the trust, and, and maybe taking a step back in order to take a step forward. What's your take on on that idea that these conversations are are creating some sort of change we could kind of come at it from a bureaucratic side but just they are creating change do you have any measure of that so Um, far i would say yes and i'd say yes for two reasons i would say that i've noticed that um when we do sit beside for me you know there are when we're in learning teams or i'm in classrooms with students um, there, there is the, the teacher student or the educator who's come to the learning team and you're, you have something you're going to show them, they're going to go back and do that's, that's a bureaucracy, Chris, Th- that's just part of the structure. And for us, we also know that if we don't, um, you know, melt it, if we don't somehow change it, that, the critical thinking or the learning or the things that are going to happen between us. And, you know, as Andrea says, to create something new isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. And the other thing I want to share with you is that we were at um, a district meeting a couple of days ago and a vice principal came up to me and was 
sharing what her educator had said about how she felt um, after the learning team. And she'd had a, a wonderful day. And she said, great PD, but I have to tell you that when we came in the door, Kelly was waiting there and said, hi, we're so glad you're here. Please come in. Thank you for coming. And I think she understood that not only were we excited for her to be there and to learn with her, but she also knew I was giving myself over to her and I had to, and we have to give ourselves over to each other if we're going to create that relationship, that peace where something can be made new from both of us having been in that space together. And I think she felt it, Chris. I, I love those moments. I love those moments for the the dissonance that sometimes it can also create. And I think what's what's often what I often notice as um, just I think really kind and kind and empathetic ways to invite people into learning. I notice that those conversations happen frequently when we speak about working with the the children that come into our our learning spaces sometimes there's a little different way that it's received with individuals that you know are the are the teachers or that are part of the um uh, part of the i guess let's say the teachers the educators the ones that are are have a little bit more power in that in that structure and i and i often think to myself you know that is a really cool way because i've been to learning sessions as well professional development where from the moment you get out of your vehicle like you don't often think that your learning begins when you arrive in the parking lot but i've been welcomed in the parking lot and the learning begins and you know there's a really great you know, I've, I've, you know, I can remember my my sister. She used to work at McDonald's, and when she, <laughs> I would drive her to work. It's not like her boss was standing, like the team is standing there in the parking lot. Yay, you're at work. You're this is fantastic. But it starts to make me think about how much positivity mm-hmm. that injects, like just automatically. Even if you choose to deny it and say, "Well, that was kind of uncomfortable. Someone said hello to me this morning," but I love those moments. And when you when you had you know you two have addressed the sit beside. I think that's a necessary element. I mean, we can we can sort of think on one hand about the empathy, just paying attention to the other. But what if we make it about also offering the best of from the get go? From the from the get go, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from the get go. And and in one of your posts, you address this that idea of in, in sort of ingreeding. You're giving all of yourself. I, I I've tried. I've tried to practice the full. Is it Iroquois? I forget. I forget. It was in the post. It was what what the origin mm-hmm. was, but the the word, uh, what what Conan Hoarton? In Mo, it's Mohawk. Is it Mohawk? It's Mohawk. And the gentleman that shared it with us was standing in front of new teachers, and you know he also understands what he gives over with his language, but with his hands when he does the gesture where he's sweeping his hand in front and he says, hello, I'm in front of you and I'm giving over myself. And I'll tell you, Chris, that the sit beside isn't a condition in itself. Sit beside, it has multiple conditions within mm-hmm. because we also talked about it in the cheerleader. There, There is, you know, that fake piece where they, they can smell from the door. Mm, it's not real. And also you think about it in collaboration in that compromise piece where, you know, you're sitting right beside someone, but have you given over? Have you really given over yourself to not knowing, to learning, to being different for having been in that space with them and changed? And that's Carlina Rinaldi. And she grounds us in a lot of ways. I love that sentiment. Mm. I love that feeling. I really do. I think somewhere between your experience with the um, with the speaker and that idea of being welcomed from the parking lot, yeah, there's some fascinating work to be done. Because I will say that PD, the several PD sessions that I was welcomed from the parking lot were weekend conferences where where you've basically volunteered to go. 
And that's a whole other podcast about what happens when you are volunteering self into an activity and how that sort of jumps some of the cues of connectivity, of interactivity, of collaboration. When you're a true, when you feel that you are able to honor yourself in your own learning to choose something that you want to do. And I mean, it's the same way, like if you were that idea that you can pick someone to go out for dinner with, or you're able to say, now I would like to read a great book. All of these start from that really, that sort of sweet spot inside out and, and hopefully bloom out into an experience that's of value. If we arrive in the parking lot and we're set appropriately, we've chosen to be there then the welcoming is just the other magnet that draws you into whatever that experience will be. And it makes me really think about my path so far in education. And you know what, maybe at the next staff meeting, I'll put down, you know, to my principal, yeah, I'd really like to be welcomed for my car when I arrive in the morning. Could, could, could one of you on a mid-staff be out there for me just to say hello? Which would be a really simple way to do it. But I think of the schools too, where staff are out and doing it in the hallways or you arrive in a some sort of a meeting and there's a moment where they say, we just like to take a moment to honor. And then you can put in what all the things that you want to honor just in, in gathering. I love the image. Okay, so here's an itchy sweater for you. <laughs> here's an itchy sweater and it's it's come to mind. Is there is there risk? Do you feel there's risk in what you're giving of yourself in your reflective practice now because you post publicly? Yes. We just, we just looked at each other. <laughs> you know, what's amazing Pause. is I was wondering, I was wondering, cause this is the great thing and it'll, it could be edited out, but some of the pauses, again, getting used to the wait time, getting my wait time is different than yours, but I wondered if at any moment, you know, I mean, you two can sort of turn and kind of look at each other. It's like, okay. And it could be anything from you want to answer? No, I'll answer. You want it? Oh, no. Or it could be just who's, who's going to answer this one. <laughs> so what is it? Was, is there a sense of risk now in, in publishing publicly? Uh, absolutely. And we're, um, we think a lot about the risk and the courage that it takes and the difference. Um, <clears throat> we were thinking recently about the difference between, um, you know, my youngest daughter who is only four, um, and is all over that, um, and just, just jumps right in and asks questions. Um, and she is very connected to like who she is and what she already knows and what's next for her. Um, whereas my older son, um, you know, has to compare now, you know, what you're thinking to his own thinking and, and which one is right. Um, so I think it just speaks to that, that courage, but we're also thinking about the feet, like the feeling when you, um, feel like you're compelled um, to learn something new, like you have to do something more you, like, the, and, and it's exactly the itchy sweater um, that you're referring to. When we went, when we wrote the second blog, you know, it's that, that feeling I'm sure when, you know, the curse of winning the Oscar, not that we won an Oscar for the blog, but that we got it out there and we did it and what a huge relief it was. How do you follow that? How do you put out another one that will give the same feels, but also push and bump? And it it probably took until the fourth to understand that we're putting who we are out there. We have wonderful conversations with the story people to ensure that they are okay with the stories. But it finally had to sit comfortably with us that we were going to be uncomfortable. Every time. Every time. The pinch. And to pay attention to when those come across, right? Mm -hmm. To pay really close attention to mm -hmm. yourself and, and um, when you're feeling itchy. And I will say that you can, ha <laughs> you can have, a, you know, Chris, I, can, I don't have to tell you about hard weeks in education. And sometimes you have an emotional investment and things don't go well, or you feel hurt, or you feel sort of resigned. You know, education is that place. And we also are very careful. And I think that's why we get to be with each other in this, that we don't write 
in anger or frustration or we don't react quickly. You know, she has slowed me down to that place where we have, you know, something happens. It's it it doesn't not give you the hard feels, but it also creates that space for okay. Let's think about this. And it isn't the next week's blog or the next week's blog. It will sit there and it will hang and we will come back around to it. And the blog has given us that wait time. What um what compelled you to shift from sorry, what compelled you to sh- to include uh blogging as part of your reflective practice? What was the trigger? that that pushed you into that space starbucks <laughs> no nice. so i was <laughs> nice there's no sponsorship <laughs> no. deal here they uh, i've actually been sort of even some of my media I'm, I'm careful to send out just so i don't have that you know starbucks or tim horton's mug on the table just in case the internet bots say oh, now dear. you owe us money I love, for i love i love that you know that we had a trigger i love that you know that we built to this place that learning is hard and, you know, being an employee, being a teacher, being an educator is hard. And sometimes it sits you back and you feel like, okay, I don't know where to go, what to do, who to talk to. How do I keep learning? You know, not feel so tired, not run to the next thing to the next thing. And I think the blog in itself and, you know, my relationship with Andrea, we, there were multiple triggers, Chris. We both decided we have to figure this out. It's Mm -hmm. a beast. And that's where the name came from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've had somebody ask me, you know, but like, are you allowed to talk about your teaching context? Are you allowed to speak about that? And again, I love I will then take the waiting time in there just to play out all of the sort of sides of that shape because it's not a simple question. It's not a simple question. Sorry, a simple question that just kind of explodes on the back end, right? Because within that, I wonder about the types of things that we expect permission for. I wonder about my own reflective practice and the ownership of it. Do I actually have ownership of it? What does it mean to have ownership of reflective practice? I wonder about um, others and is it somehow I should be cognizant of what somebody else would like to know about my context? How might you respond to that? If someone looking at your process right now would ask the question, but are you allowed to talk about that? When we plan and when we think about the learning, you know, when we're for a learning team, we, the door is open and we, Andrea sketch noting, we have stuff everywhere and we are deep in the conversation. So often, you know, the, we'll say we're wide open doors open. I would say that we, before the first publish, we thought of those implications and we considered them deeply. We tried to, with the narrative and with the conversation and with the sketch note, make it feel like the door's wide open. Come and sit beside us. We weren't telling stories out of turn. We weren't reporting on. We were sharing the depth of our learning and how hard it was and how open it is. It's not just this happened, oh no, or this happened, oh great. All of the pieces are who we are every day. Have have either one of you ever been in a, let's say a, a PD session, staff meeting, a learning space where one of the facilitators, and they could be a part of actual, let's say school leadership, or just a, a, a colleague. So everyone's kind of existing in the same, I want to say like leadership position. So it could just be a, just a group of teachers, but there's someone that's facilitating the learning. 
But where someone has said their lead was, this reminds me of a blog post that I read, or let's say even a deeper ninja statement. I wrote a blog post about that and it's, and it, and it becomes part of the learning session sort of in camera. So it becomes in, in the group, you're actually going to be using a blog post from somebody that's in the group. Have either one of you been in that space? So we've been that space, but we, I cannot think back. We hear names other than perhaps from where they got it. I just had, you know, a vice or pardon me, a system principal come up to me. She had been taking some notes and she said, have you ever heard of this? It's like a podcast, like, like math pod. And I'm like, oh yeah. Mm. And I loved it because she had taken notes and we were having conversations. But I still, there is something, Chris, about when you read a blog, it's personal. When you listen to a podcast, it's personal. And maybe the human or where you got it from, but very rarely do we say, sort of say that out loud. Because I still think we think these mediums are kind of personal. It, it, it comes to mind, the, the reason I, I arrived there is partially from something that was, it's a part of the sketch note here, but you know, the, the agility of whales. And I, I bring this in, you, you, I bring this in. So here's, here's the, um, here's all the little kind of uh, impacts that have, have hit in my, in my mind just in the last sort of five minutes, one talking about the sit beside two bringing in this idea of having open doors, three talking about the <laughs> risk. Did I say three twice? I might've four, <laughs> it's I, I'm actually using my fingers to count and it was only because I touched the same one twice <laughs> uh, I'll stop using my hands I'm distracting myself um, but I think I'm on four four the idea that um, we may seek permission or we think we need to seek permission to share our own thoughts and and where I, I land on that at the end is I agree I think that there's something about here's the tension I look at I look at what seems to be this idealized classroom experience of learning where the learner not only is able to activate their own tools but then those tools are respected and used within the class and then whatever the learning is whatever the outcome is it works it's like the the almost like the the uh the gold standard for personalized learning within a, let's say a class of 30 kids. And within that, or sort of around that, you have the teacher encouraging this form of learning, which is, as you just said, but in reference to teacher learning, highly personal. And then we shift to learning spaces for educators and the philosophy changes. And so my intent in exploring this space of individuals feeling comfortable enough, so teachers, educators feeling comfortable enough to make reference to their own learning in public spaces, that idea of the agility of whales and even melting layers of bureaucracy, there's really something to that. And I commend I commend you two for being, um, I'll say exemplars of open door learning. My, uh, my spouse, she works at a school where that is their model of, of their leader, the leadership team meetings are open door. You can go and you can sit in. And I had never heard of that before because when I was a department head, a uh, former department head at a school for me, those were closed door meetings. And I never thought anything of it. I didn't have any sort of, I, I, didn't, I didn't see how that type of leadership or power was just being sort of locked inside of a silo. That's the front end. The other end is none of the learning was making it out effectively. And we would often say like, why aren't things getting done in the school? You know? So I love this idea of trying to get the conversations out there. And I think that individuals that are willing to speak, and as you said, professionally, creatively, uh, intuitively, empathically, and remaining connected, I don't know, I want to agree like it's a new space, but I almost feel like like it, like my, is this, I don't want to brag about this being a new space. Because I think like, how have more teachers not jumped on this? How have more educators not jumped on this? What are you thinking? I think it, it came from a place where we um, we saw that the learning with 
educators and students needed to be personal. They needed to be thinking critically about like authentic, meaningful um, issues in their classrooms. And we, and we wanted to make sure that we created the, the same space. I think this is a good step. I think this is obviously a good step for, for ensuring that. Has anyone come to you and asked you technically, hey, yeah, how do I start a blog? I want to give that a try. Have you, have you intentionally or accidentally given anyone permission to take a risk? It's funny. No. But we, we, we know we're going to have people join us in the beast. We feel them moving towards us where they're going to want to be part of the conversation. And I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. You know, we have students who are learning how to think critically. And thinking critically means you have to think deeply about your beliefs and your perspectives. And having students do that is hard. It takes a lot of time. Educators as well, incredibly busy humans. And making that space and time to do this is hard. I would and, agree. Yeah. And for us, we, we've made it a priority because, and, you know, in the last blog, I don't think I understood, you know, until we finished the conversation that I now need it. I need this as part of who I am. It's a profound shift, isn't it? And it can be surprising. And it sometimes is the thing that you can't set in target just before you hit publish. But I would say it's one of the coolest things to come out of reflect, uh, reflective practice in public. I think it's also a really great indicator that you're on the right track. I really do. I'll be honest with you. We have wonderful conversations with people and they tell us, you know, we love it. I had another a lady tell an, an, a colleague say that that isn't a cup of tea, it's a pot of tea. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will tell you, Chris, part of me is waiting now for the someone to come and say, that's not my experience. I have, I had someone t- text me last night and say, I want to have conversations with you like you do with that Andrea person. <laughs> so we know that people want to have those conversations. But we also know we have to find the people and, and the educators and the learners who are like, no, what? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. We, we haven't found them yet. Not to defend, mm-hmm. but to sit beside. Yep. Sit beside. Because we don't, we don't see those. They don't, you know. If I go way out there, hmm. your work drew my attention, which created this space, which is why I think you're on the right track. I will say that I've had a ton of conversations with teachers in my, in my own region, in the region that I teach in. Those conversations are no easier to attain or get to than, let's say, this conversation. But one thing I will say is that by digging into the practice of this, of this podcast, if this becomes, you know, if this is the thing that I do for a long, long time, it's in the practice that you just, you can build the pursuit and you can keep doing it. And every once in a while, just like when our audio kicked out, the universe taps you back on the shoulder and says, hey, did you notice this person? And now I'm talking to you. You can remain local and try and build that sort of like that core strength but you're now existing in a broader sense as well. And you'll find maybe what I've found is that there's constant time travel and teleporting between your own context and other people's contexts. And I will tell you, the view is amazing. Like you really do get a lot more pieces. And the thing is, it doesn't actually build, it doesn't build necessarily an absolute version version of the puzzle sometimes you realize the corner that you were starting on Mm. that conversation takes you to the opposite corner of the puzzle because as you've already created it's a beast (laughs) it's and no matter how big it feels inside of your region 
man, like there's a whole lot of bits out there. And that's kind of an exciting space to be, truly. And I dig what you two are putting out because I think like I, I love the connectivity. I love the connections. I love the connections that you make. And I do your, your, I, I, I love how you honor your own learning and your, the context, the honor of the, your context as well. All right, coming down the pipe. So future facing right now, something that's giving you a little bit of that somewhere between the fear and the excitement factor, but it's still kind of like, oh, I'm not quite sure. Could be a project, could be a little item that you, you know, surprise, this is what we're doing now. Could be a, um, a moment or a date or a speaking presentation you're doing, anything coming down the pipe for either one of you or the two of you together that you'd like to speak to? So the two of us to get in education, I don't, I don't know what happened this February, but February is, is so jam-packed and the learning is piling up on top of each other. So how do we sort of honor the beast and hold it up? And when we met Chris in December, we really thought about a plan, you know, this blog on this date, this blog on this date, and we sort of mapped it up out until April. And what we love about plans is that they they completely change. What we have found in making the plan and, and looking at, you know, what were we thinking about for next week? We have found that the blog now, you know, it shifts direction. What are we going to, we know it's right in front of us. And we have been spending a lot of time, uh, living in the indigenous learning model and thinking about perspective. And we have a colleague that really has spent a lot of time with us in the tree. And the, he said this to me, he said, you can never see all of the tree at once, no matter where you stand, no matter where you move, the tree is the tree. The truth is the truth, but standing around that tree, it's that perspective. And we have spent much of our learning this year thinking about transformative practices and truth and reconciliation and critically thinking and having students understand what it is to exist in that intercultural space call to action you know number number 63 but how do we do it the way we do it by inviting people in how do we have them lean into something that's hard how do we figure that out? And it's its own giant sketch note right now. And it's not next week's blog. It's probably not the week after that. But I can tell you it's been sitting so deeply with us that I believe it will probably be more than one blog in a row. I think it will be that blog where people come in. Like the gentleman who, you know, I'm giving all of myself. We will need other perspectives inside of the writing, inside of mm -hmm. the conversation with us, because it's not our conversation. So, so we know that that piece around truth and reconciliation and students and transformative practices for us will be a series of blogs that will include more. It will include students, you know, in the conversation and parents, and it will require us and the humans in our story to give all of themselves because that in itself is its own beast. I love the level up. That's a good one. That's a good one. I look forward to reading it in multi pieces or multimedia pieces, whatever spaces you sort of kaleidoscopically reach out to with that. That'll be cool to see how that stitches together. Where would you like people to find you so someone reaching out want to extend this conversation someone reaching out want to clarify something maybe just throw a couple a little bit of thought fuel your way where would you, you two like to be found oh we are on twitter um at the um the beast edu um and also um i'm and creative on twitter kelly is spec ed forever but we also love to see comments on the blog for sure and I'm starting to have a deeper appreciation of that, of, you know, just creating up, creating more spaces where people can drop some words. Um, and I'm seeing more and more individuals in my PLN saying the best place for them is to, is to drop, you know, you know, some of the bigger responses, put it, <clears throat> put it to the actual blog. And I think part of it is people are starting to really appreciate a common landing space 
for some conversations because using Twitter is awesome. Using a blog is awesome, but also start to get, you can feel sort of teased out in multiple directions, like which part of the conversation it's some over here and some over there. Andrew and Kelly, thank you so much for your time. I think this was, uh, I'm, 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 you know, apart from my caffeine craving right now, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be able to launch into my Saturday. How are you two doing? We're doing well. We, we love, well, it's funny. We love the conversation and, but you know, we were, we were nervous, right? We were nervous to have this conversation because I think for us, this was a bit of a level up. That nervous energy um, is definitely, it's definitely something that uh, others have kind of mentioned. Was this your first podcast? Absolutely. That is cool. You two represented like rock stars. I mean, it was just, you know, I didn't have the video, so I don't know if <laughs> we didn't have the the videotape to sort of show any of the, uh, any of that nervous energy, but uh, the conversation flowed. Like I said, this, this was, this was awesome. And I appreciate it though. You know, that I'll make the note. Thanks for still stepping in with that little bit of that nervousness, that, that ambiguity skill set, because I know I know that moment in itself, it, it will give permission for somebody else to start a blog, to talk to a colleague at a staff meeting in a very sort of like connected fashion, or it might, it might spark a idea like, oh, wow, I want to start capturing kind of audio reflections too. So that's really cool. And, and, and I deeply appreciate you, you know, giving me, giving your time on, on a Saturday morning. You are incredibly generous and incredibly gracious and you do pull people in because you're generally, you are genuinely curious and it creates that space, Chris, for us to give it over to you, to have that conversation. And I mean, I, I get to have Andrea beside me and, and look into her eyes and have that, you know, what do you want to say? How do you want to say it? Are you going to answer it? But in the end, it comes from the conditions that you set that say, I really want to know. I really want to know. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And thanks for noticing. It's uh, I'll, I'll go back and listen to episode one. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. And I'll say, there you go. And I can't, I can't go back in and edit. We talked about that just right, quickly. Right. I can't go back and edit one. That That is an official snapshot. Mm-hmm. And it's in too many different downloads now that even if I and I don't, um, there's not a brag there. I'm just mentioning, I mean, if it even gets out there to 10 people and they're carrying it with them, it doesn't matter what I change. Mm-mm. You know, it's it's not the individuals that were necessarily impacted by the first conversation. They're probably not going to go back and download version 2.0. I mean, I'm not Apple, right? Like <laughs> they're not going to get the next version just because. So, but I'll tell you the first one, if you, if you're ever curious about the path, it, 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 there's, I've needed time. I've definitely needed time to to um, understand what it is that I'm doing, despite the fact I'm already doing it. <laughs> so I appreciate you noticing. Mm-hmm. And think of the value, though, of being able, I mean, that's your pedagogical documentation of your learning and your belief that if you went back and you listened you can see and feel yourself over time having grown and changed and been made different from the people you're having the conversation with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Power, powerful, powerful learning. I like how you threw that one out there. Do we just go right into part two of this one and we'll start talking for an hour and change? Absolutely. I think though, if we, Actually, if we held on to 11, we really could have, you know. I know. Eh? Uh-huh. Um, the one the one thing I'll give to you, and it's something, maybe it's something that we can, we can return to because I think I do. I think I want to come back and have another sit down with you too. And maybe consider this as a, as a leap off point. And it kind of goes, it'll go back to what I said about speaking to our reflective practice in public but doing it in real time. So one of the conversations I've been in this last week, actually the last two weeks is around when we're in a position of, of um, transition. So we might be moving between jobs. How, what, how might we bring to light moments like this that we've spent X number of hours and words reflecting on our practice and 
causing change in education. And we know it because we've had feedback and then other people's projects then become, we were the seed point for that. How do we draw that into a conversation when we're looking to transition? Do we speak to our writing and PLN when we're in a job interview? So how do we effectively speak to the power of what we've created outside of the classroom? And it might be a really interesting space for the next time that we talk, maybe at the end of the school year or sometimes over the summer. Would you be interested? We would be interested. Cool. It's total bait, right? Total bait. But, <laughs> but it's, it, it, it wraps, I think it may wrap an interesting an interesting uh, leap off point or divergence from the body of work that you're creating, as in then how do you speak to it from, um, I think, an, an essential self-congratulatory stance where you can take a positive ownership for the cool things that you've put out there. So yeah, let's, I'd love to give that a ride. Much appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. Very, very welcome. All right. So have a fantastic, fantastic Saturday. And I look forward to reading the rest of your blog posts. And I wish you wish you both the best in the upcoming or the, I guess, I'm going to say remainder, almost make sure that it's like the remainder of the school year. Mm-hmm. Though I know that we're, well, we'll just say the remainder. All right. You as well. Thank you so much, Chris. You're very welcome. Take care. Thanks for listening to Chasing Squirrels podcast. You can find other episodes on iTunes and on Podbean. You ever want to connect with me? You can reach me on Twitter at Chris J. Clef, or you can reach out to me, chrisjclef at gmail.com. 